The thing is, I've always had a habit of talking to myself from a young age. Usually I'm just either thinking out loud or I'm speaking my to-do list out loud or I'm speaking ideas out loud, but nothing prepared me for how much I talk to myself having a podcast. <laughs> Every week, starting these episodes off, just talking to myself. I thought over time it would get less awkward and, you know, never, never feels less awkward, but still I rise. Here we are another week. Uh, thank you for listening to Balanced Black Girl Podcast, where we are getting our lives together, together. The show is all about well-being and self-improvement, so you can feel more like yourself and be ready to thrive in your fully embodied self. I talk a lot about wellness, habits, mindfulness, and right now on the podcast, we're talking about money, honey, because whether we like it or not, we need it. It's important. And the more engaged we can be in having open conversations about money, the better. Today's episode is all about why women being in financial positions of power is so important, whether that is choosing to have your own bank account, saving enough money for retirement, having open conversations about money in your relationships. Money is a key pillar of wellness. Financial wellness is right up there with physical, mental, and emotional wellness. In fact, they often intersect. And today's guest is an incredible educator on all things financial wellness for women. Bola Shakunbi is a certified financial education instructor, finance expert, best-selling author, speaker, and founder of Clever Girl Finance, a financial education platform and community for women, empowering them to achieve financial wellness and live life on their own terms. Bola has an incredible story from saving over $100,000 on her own as a single woman in her 20s to bootstrapping Clever Girl Finance to be a global financial education platform. She has a wealth of financial knowledge and this episode is like Finance Inspiration 101. We're getting into saving, investing, managing money and relationships, investing in yourself and so much more. So let's get into our conversation with Bola. One more thing before we jump into today's episode, friend, I have a quick favor to ask you. So a few weeks ago on the podcast, I talked about my recent experience at a retreat. I said, hey, if you're interested in a balanced black girl retreat, let me know. And y'all most certainly let me know that you would be interested. So thank you so much to everyone who commented, DM'd, messaged, emailed. I'm so excited to hear that you are interested in the idea. So if we're going to move forward with a balanced black girl retreat, I want to make sure that it is a retreat that you want. So to get this process started, I actually have a survey that I would love for you to fill out. This survey is just going to tell me what kind of retreat are you interested in? When would you want to go on a retreat? What does your budget look like? So that we can put together an offering that is going to truly be what you need when you need it. Special bonus for everybody who fills out the survey is that once the retreat is up and running, we get the information we need. Everyone who fills out the survey will actually get first dibs on signing up for the retreat and will also get special pricing. So if you are at all interested in coming on a Balanced Black Girl Retreat, please make sure that you fill out the survey. You can find it in the show notes. You can find it in my Instagram bio, TikTok bio, anywhere you can find a link from me. <laughs> I will make sure that the survey is there so that you can take it, so that we can hear what kind of amazing retreat you would like to have. So thank you in advance for your feedback, and I hope that we can take a trip together soon. All right, let's get into the episode. Bola, welcome to Balance Black Girl. I could not think of a better guest to include in our money and abundance series. I'm so happy to have you. I'm so excited to be here to talk with you about all things money, life, etc. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes, absolutely. Well, you have had so many incredible experiences to share related to money, business, prosperity that I'm just ecstatic to get into today. <laughs> so first, I would actually love to talk about your new book, your fourth book. Your your first three books, part of the Clever Girls series, were 
more kind of tactical, finance focused. And with this fourth book, it's it's entirely different. It's a lot more personal. It is, it's you, it's your story, it's your experiences. What made you want to share those parts of yourself? And did you experience any nervousness kind of taking a bit of a turn and, and sharing so many personal stories? Yeah, so Choosing to Prosper is my fourth book, and I describe it as a love letter from me to other women like me. I come from a somewhat difficult background. My parents are first generation everything, first generation grade school, high school, college, um, the first to be educated. And that's just my parents, right? I have aunts and uncles who are not formally educated, and they also come from backgrounds of poverty. And I am a first generation immigrant, and you know, I have been able to leverage the different life experiences I've had as a Black woman facing racism, facing a challenging background, and turn it into something that helps other people through my business, Clever Oil Finance. And so for me, it was really important for me to create this resource that I can share with other women like me who may be experiencing what I am what I have experienced or can some way relate to my own experiences and tie it into their own as a reminder that choosing to prosper is an intentional choice and you too can keep moving forward regardless of what you have going on with you. And so that really was the motivation behind sharing the story. Um, it was difficult to share because I do talk about some difficult situations in my life and I'm also an introvert by, by nature, but I had to think about the greater intention of why I wanted to share my story and why I do what I do in my business, why I'm so focused on, on empowering women of color with financial wellness, because it gives us options. And so I had to look past myself and get out of my comfort zone and deliver this book <laughs> as a way of using my voice to support women like me. Mm, yes, that's that's powerful. I love what you just said about looking outside of yourself and and thinking of the people who can also find so much value in hearing your story because the the tactical information is incredible. And when we have tactical information and we're able to hear someone's story and hear how they applied it, it's it's like next level. That's what makes us believe that we can do it too. Exactly, exactly. And it's for me, I find that a lot of other people's experiences that have empowered me, that have motivated me, that are really memorable to me, they've come from people that I can relate with, I can identify with in one way or the other based on the experiences that they have shared. And I think sometimes there's a lot of stories we hear out there, especially about women, about Black women, but there's not enough, right? And so it's important that we continue to use our voices through your podcast, through my books, et cetera, just to continue to highlight our journeys and our stories because there's someone out there who needs to hear your perspective. Absolutely. One of the aspects of your story that I know has gotten a, a lot of attention over the years was the uh, incredible accomplishment you had of saving $100,000 in the first three years after college as a single woman, which is amazing. Like <laughs> To save $100,000 you know, by your mid-20s by yourself is Incredible. One, I would love to talk about how you did that in case some of our listeners are not familiar with that story. And two, I appreciated how in Choosing to Prosper, you talked a bit about the aftermath of, of that and about some of the things that did happen after you shared that publicly, some of the pushback that you got. And so I would I would just love to hear about how you navigated that experience as well. Yeah. So um, my, I guess, quote unquote, claim to fame is my saving <laughs> over $100,000 in three and a half years. And that was a story that I was quite hesitant to share because I didn't want it to come across like I was showing off or like I was bragging. And I remember having a conversation with a friend. This was years ago. I'm no longer in my mid-20s. <laughs> Uh, and she said, your story is powerful because one of the things that we did on Clever Finance was that we showcased success stories, and we still do, of other women who are either on their journey to achieving their goal or had accomplished something big. And she's like, you're sharing all these women's stories. Your story should be part of this mix. And so I sat down and I, I wrote out what my saving story was, and I had no idea that it was going to take off, right? So I graduated college not having any student loans, not because, you know, my parents are rich and bawling out of control, but because I couldn't qualify for any. And it was a it was a serious struggle for my mother to support me through college, even though I had a partial scholarship. And so I end up spending about five and a half years to graduate versus your average four, just because of funds. And so as soon as I graduated from college and I started making my first salary I just wanted to do well. Even before I got my first job, while I was interviewing, I was like, I graduated college today. I need a job tomorrow. I started working at CVS at the photo department just to get money. And I was getting paid like, I think it was eight or $9 an hour. So I got this first job, corporate job, 
was making $54,000 before taxes. And I just wanted to figure out how to save my money. I started learning about budgeting, about investing, about credit, about saving, about emergency savings. And I gradually started putting money together. I was frequently in the bookstores to find resources. And I was really surprised that I couldn't find any resources that were specific to women or women of color. I don't know why at the time, but as a young college graduate, I wanted to read something that specifically related to my experience. And I did find one personal finance book and it was the New York Times bestselling personal finance book for women, but it was written by a white man. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> yeah. But I bought the book anyway. It was based on his grandmother's experience. But, you know, I bought the book anyway. I read it to, sh- to shreds and I was like, I wish there was someone like me talking to me in the pages of this book, but I learned so much. Mm-hmm. And so every raise I got, every tiny little raise I got, I would save it. After taxes, my $54,000 was about $40,000. And I lived in the Metro New York City area. I stayed at home for six months so I could save money for a down payment to put on a small condo. So I had a mortgage of about $900. I had a car note of about $300 and I had like basic utilities. And I just got really aggressive with saving money. I tried to eat all my meals at work. I was the girl that would come into the office and all the executive assistants knew me. Like, hey, boy, there's a retirement party in conference room one <laughs> at lunch. There's, there's a, there's a big baby shower in conference room seven (laughs) at 3 p.m. And I would just hang around and get the leftovers. There's an executive meeting at 2.30. Stop by. They would email me and I would go grab all the food, keep it in the fridge, take it home. I got really aggressive with saving. I was contributing to my retirement savings account as soon as I knew my employer offered a match, 401k match, uh, free money. I, I took all, I contributed enough to get the entire match. I cut down on what was not necessary. I started a side hustle. So one of the things that really helped me was that I started a photography side hustle. So after work, I would be out taking pictures, editing pictures. I was working seven days a week, editing all day and all night, and I was exhausted, but it was making me good money. And those are the steps I took to save. I also saved every raise that I got at my job. So I lived like I always had that $40,000 and I saved as much of it as possible. And it was hard to do because at the time working in New York City, I had friends who were working in investment banking and this was a time that they were getting big, big bonuses. And I had friends who were making 60 and 70K and their bonuses were like a hundred and two hundred thousand dollars. Right? Wow. Oh my gosh. And they they had student loans that they wouldn't pay off. They would be at Chanel and Louis Vuitton, which I love those brands. I'm a handbag girl. <laughs> but it was just a challenge, right? Because I could either try to keep up with them in that moment and get myself into debt because I wasn't making nearly what they were making, or I could focus on my focus and just try to save. And then on the other side of that, go buy the things I wanted to buy. And so I would get told things like, why are you being so cheap? Why don't you want to go out? Why don't you want to go to the dinner? I'm like, because in all honesty, I can't afford to. I need to Mm -hmm. save money. My parents really struggled to get me through college. I need to show them that it wasn't a waste of their their money. It was at the expense of their retirement, at the expense of the life, the lifestyle they were living and the things that they wanted to afford for themselves, but they couldn't because they were paying my college tuition. So I really had to get that into perspective. And there were times that I slipped and I went out and I returned the things I bought. But then once I hit that first 10K, first 50K, I got to 100K, I was like, wow, I'm actually doing this. I'm actually doing this. It's been worth it. So uh, I did share that story. And Like I said, I was hesitant to share it, but the feedback was generally good. Mm -hmm. But there was the other side of things, you know, of of people who just couldn't believe that this little black girl (laughs) was able to save that much money. And when you think about it in the grand scheme of things, $100,000 is a lot of money. Mm -hmm. But then your average celebrity goes out and buys a $100,000 watch and we're all hyping them on social media. But I was getting attacked because... The assumption was that I had someone who was sponsoring my lifestyle, right? Uh, I was called a trust fund baby. Uh, I did a radio interview and they forgot to mute me. And they said, there's no way, you know, on the commercial break, they were like, they had invited me to share my savings tips. And the commercial break, they forgot to mute me or mute themselves. And the conversation was about how, oh, I call BS on this. There's no way she saved that money. She had a rich boyfriend. These these chicks always like to, they don't like to come clean about the true story. And then there was a Money Magazine feature that I, you know, once the story started going viral, I was featured in Money Magazine as a two-page spread. And in it, it said that she was married me. I was married in, and I lived in New Jersey with my my twins and my husband who was a physician. Mm -hmm. And that just became a whole thing. Oh yeah, she's a doctor's wife. That's why she has, you know, she's able to save, you know, she's so privileged, forgetting that the article actually said that I saved this coming out of college before I was married. I did this on my own as a, you know, as a single black woman. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was a kind of backlash I got. But what it made me realize was that, you know, 
the people who appreciated my story, which was most people, uh, were the people who I wanted my story to reach, right? And the people who were looking for faults and trying to attribute my success to a man or a sugar daddy or (laughs) my my (laughs) supposed trust fund, those are people that were impressing upon me what they failed to achieve for themselves, not because they couldn't, but because they don't want to, because they're so caught up in the comparison and the envy and the judgment that they don't make the time to focus on what they need to do to get what they need to get done. So yeah, that's in a nutshell, a long nutshell, (laughs) the saving story. I love that story because it's, first of all, just an incredible accomplishment and takes an incredible amount of discipline and, and focus, especially at that age. And I really appreciate what you said about how the response was generally positive and how the importance of who it inspired and who that story helped is so much more important than the people who are projecting. And what someone says negatively about that story just says so much more about them, about Mm -hmm. their insecurities, and also how they feel about women. Why when a woman, especially a Black woman, achieves something, it's automatically attributed to you know a man or something being given to them. It just says so much more about their beliefs than than it does about what you achieved, which was an amazing thing. Absolutely. And it's it's something that is I deal with it all the time, right? I remember trying to raise money for for my business before I decided that I was going to go ahead and bootstrap. And I would get questions like, what does your husband think about what you're trying to do? (laughs) And I even remember when I had saved that hundred thousand dollars, I kind of felt like, okay, I have this money. I need some support or some guidance. I'm going to go to a financial planner's office. Yeah. And I get there and he's asking me, where'd you get this? Are you married? And initially I thought that he was asking me because he was trying to help me create a plan. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He was asking me because he didn't believe that I had saved that money. He believed that somebody had given it to me. A man had given to me a boyfriend. And I was so infuriated leaving that that office. I was like, I'm going to figure this out for myself. I'm going to prove everyone wrong. And I'm going to share what I've done with all my friends so that we could do the same thing too. Yes, absolutely. And that it, it actually ended up helping so many more people in the long run. And Mm -hmm. I appreciate you sharing that because I think sometimes we can want to be really quiet with our wins out of protection. And that can definitely be valid, right? Mm -hmm. We fear sometimes that negative response or being a target and, and wanting to protect ourselves. But I, I do think if it's something that we're able to do and we're comfortable to do sharing wins like that, is so wonderful because you never know who you can help and inspire. Yes. And, you know, I I would even say that sharing our wins is really important for our self-esteem, for our morale, and to tackle the imposter syndrome that so many of us face. I definitely face imposter syndrome. And the way I get ahead of that imposter syndrome is by I'm, I'm reminding myself of all the incredible things that I have done, right? That kind of helps to silence it. Like when that voice in the back of my head is telling me why I can't do something, why I'm not good at something, why nobody in my family has done something. I have to be like, wait a minute, but I've done, where's my notes in my phone? Okay. <laughs> I have done yes. XYZ over XYZ. And you know, like in your careers, in your finances, whatever it is that you have done, start to document it so that when you start feeling down and depressed about what people are telling you that you can't accomplish or that little voice in your head is telling you that you can't do, you're like, no, what? I'm going to give myself my roses. Where's my list? This is what I've done. And if I, ha- if I can do all these things, guess what? I can do what you're telling me that I cannot do. So be quiet. Ugh. Yes. I love that idea. It's like proof of success. Yes. You've already proven yourself to fuel what you're doing next. Yes. Amazing. This episode is sponsored by my favorite wellness app, Open. Open is a digital mindfulness platform combining breathwork, meditation, and movement, and it is my go-to app to help me get centered when I need to reconnect with my breath. One of my favorite meditations on open that I go back to time and time again is called Embody Self Love, led by one of their instructors, Allie, who is an incredible guide. The meditation focuses on finding compassion for yourself and uses loving kindness to deepen feelings of self-love. It's my favorite meditation when I'm feeling hard on myself or I'm tempted to give in to comparison. In addition to that class, there are countless other meditations for any emotion you may be feeling, as well as movement classes such as yoga and Pilates and breath work, which is an incredible healing modality. On any given day, I'm taking several classes within Open because it's that good. I love starting my morning with one of their meditations and yoga flows and then tapping back in to do breath work in the afternoon when I need a little energy and to refocus. 
Plus on the podcast right now, we're talking all about money and I actually love doing a guided meditation before I sit down and go through my finances and check in with my money because it just puts me in a way better, more calm, more abundant headspace. So I recommend trying that out. I also appreciate how community-oriented Open is. Each month, they host challenges encouraging their community to take classes together, and you can invite friends and family to move, breathe, and meditate with you from within the app. I would love to have you join me on Open. Open is giving Balanced Black Girl listeners 30 days free when you visit open-together.com balanced. That's 30 days of unlimited meditation, breathwork, yoga, and Pilates classes. You don't want to miss out on this. Again, you can join me on Open by going to open-together.com slash balanced. So I've been in the wellness space for a really long time, kind of how this podcast got started and, you know, kind of my segue into the wellness space was very fitness oriented. So for a long time, I was very focused on physical wellness, but the longer I'm here, the more I'm mature, the more I'm like, actually, I think financial wellness is the most important aspect of wellness because our financial wellness impacts so many other areas of our life. So I would love to talk to you a little bit more about how you define financial wellness and why financial wellness is so important for us as women, particularly black women. Yes. So, you know, financial wellness is peace of mind. It's your ability to have options. It's your ability to walk away from situations that don't serve you. It's your ability to impact change and put your dollar to where it's most meaningful to you. It's your ability to give back to your community. It's your ability to build generational wealth. Financial wellness is something that's incredibly important. And when you think about Black women, think about women of color, we're in this position today where we're earning more money than our mothers and our grandmothers likely did. We are still being impacted by the gender wage gap, which means you hear the statistics all the time. You know, women on average earn 20 cents less than their white male counterparts. But when you break that down by demographic specifically, Black women are right there on the bottom of, of that average, right? We're not earning 20% less. We're earning something like 60 something cents to every dollar or 50 something cents. And you think back historically to you know, why we are in this position where we haven't built a lot of wealth as a demographic. A lot of it is systemic, right? Um, While other people were out there building their worldly assets, we were dealing with many other issues like Mm -hmm. slavery and segregation and Jim Crow era and just just so many things, pal. That's a whole nother um, podcast episode. Oh yeah, the whole episode itself. <laughs> exactly. And then you think about your traditional households. I'm just going to give one example. We're talking about a two-parent household. You know, the dad comes back and there's dinner on the table made by the mom. Dinner's over. The mom and the daughters clear up the dishes and the dad pulls his sons aside to talk about business and how his day was. And the mom pulls her daughters aside to talk about homemaking, the recipe from grandma. And everybody has an incredible recipe from their grandmother, right? And the reason for that was because there continues to be what people deem as a woman's place and as a black woman's place. And so you think about all of that that has happened. We in this generation are now in the position where we may not necessarily have been passed down generational financial skills from our mothers or our grandmothers, not because they didn't want to, but because they themselves didn't have that skill set. And now we're in this space, we're choosing perhaps not to get married. We're choosing to be single mothers. Many of us are breadwinners, sole household earners, and we're faced with, we have to be able to take care of our finances to take care of ourselves. And factor in the fact that we live longer on average than men, our financial wellness is incredibly important. And we're also in this unique position where we have the ability to change the narrative of what that so-called women's place is by imparting key lessons to not just our daughters, but also to our sons that we are peers, right? We are team players. Nobody is less than the other. And so financial wellness is incredibly important for women, for Black women, just so that we can give ourselves peace of mind, we can give ourselves options, and we can start to think about how do we now impart this knowledge generationally, right? So that we can start to catch up 
given all the things that have caused us to fall behind as a demographic. And so that's what I pride myself in doing, empowering women of color to achieve financial wellness. That is my mission because it is so incredibly important. And one thing I wanted to add is that, you know, we we talk about financial wellness for women and a lot of women carry a lot of shame and judgment about the mistakes that they have made with money. Mm -hmm. And I just want to tell your listeners that there's one thing that studies have shown is that we are incredible with our finances once we have the right knowledge, once we have the right insights, once we know how to decipher all of the noise, we are incredible with money. And so whatever mistakes you have made, everybody else has made them, right? There's no shame, no judgment. The key, reflect on what happened, reflect on what went wrong, take the lessons, throw the rest away and leverage what you now know to empower you towards your success in the future. Thank you so much for adding that. I think that's so important because when it comes to financial mistakes, we can beat ourselves up mm-hmm. so much. And I, I know I have absolutely done that over financial mistakes I've made and taking them as as lessons as opposed to sources of judgment, especially if you were not necessarily raised to have a lot of financial knowledge. It's you're learning by doing. And mm-hmm. oftentimes that's where financial mistakes come from. And as opposed to having shame, we can focus on not repeating. Exactly. And I would love to talk about financial wellness in regards to relationships, because I think that that can be really important. In the book, I love that you shared the experiences of women in your family, your grandmothers, your aunt. I was especially inspired by your mom's story. I mean, I won't, I will let people read the book, so I will not fully (laughs) recount the entire story, but I love how she saw what was happening to other women, how they were experiencing illness, divorce, abuse, were financially vulnerable. And she was basically like, no, I'm not going to put myself in that position and, and got her education and created businesses that ultimately ended up allowing you to get an education, right? Mm-hmm. So incredible. And for people who are, for instance, in abusive relationships, often the biggest obstacle in leaving is finances because of financial abuse. So I'd love to talk about ways that we can protect ourselves, focus on our financial wellness so that we have as many options as possible, particularly when it comes to relationships and and really making sure that we're well protected financially. Yeah. So that's a really, really um, good question. The dynamics of relationships and money can be quite complex, right? And I got to see that firsthand with my parents. Um, My mom got married when she was 19. My dad was in his 30s. He had a PhD. She had a high school diploma. She had four kids. She was a stay-at-home mom, which meant she relied on my dad for everything, right? Mm -hmm. And that was just the standard of what it was back then, especially for her group of friends and her, you know, where she was coming from. But the, the challenge that she faced was seeing other people needing to exit relationships and seeing herself wanting to do something career-wise, dream-wise, but not being able to do it because she didn't have finances as an option. So like you said, she decided that I'm going back to school. My mom went back to school in her 30s with four kids. I went to all of my mom's college classes. So I have two college degrees, my mom's and my own. (laughs) But as, as women, it's really, really important that we protect ourselves. And this is not because we're expecting the worst, but just so that we can be prepared. We, yeah. we have to face the reality of what it is when it comes to relationships, that one in two relationships end in divorce. And of those relationships that end in divorce, the top factor is financial. And so I always tell people, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you are actively contributing to your household income, whether you are the main breadwinner, if you're in a relationship with somebody else in that household, you need to be aware of what's happening with the finances, right? Just because you are a a stay-at-home mom does not mean that you do not have a say in the family finances. In fact, stay-at-home moms are the most valuable because while their spouse is out there working, uh, doesn't have time for the finances, it's a great opportunity for them to lay out the family budget, work mm-hmm. on the family financial plan, talk yeah. about goals, you know, set up the accounts. You're in a unique position because you're, you're home and you may have that free time in addition to everything you do as a stay-at-home mom, right? Because I want to highlight that. Stay-at-home moms don't just stay home and watch kids. No, <laughs> it is. That a is a job career. in and of itself. It is yes. a full-time career, right? Absolutely. And I, I once did a survey on if I was a stay-at-home mom, what would my what would the cost of all the services I did in my house be? And it came out to a six-figure salary. So mm-hmm. don't undervalue yourself if you're listening to this and you're a stay-at-home mom. But you're in a position where you can create all these things for your, your household to pursue your financial goals. If you are a working 
partner in your relationship, a working mother, you still want to be involved because your income is contributing to your household, which means that you want to talk about your financial goals, which means that you you want to discuss how you are spending your money and go over your budget. And I personally think it's really important that every woman can have her own money in the bank, right? Mm -hmm. I do that. And it's not that I'm keeping secrets from my husband. He knows that I have my own bank account, but it's just basically knowing that you have a fallback plan if push comes to shove and you need to get the hell out of Dodge, basically, right? A lot of people will tell you, oh, don't do it. There is no transparency. You can talk about this. You can talk about this with your partner, right? You can both have a joint account. You can both have separate accounts, but it's important that you have your own money. And if you're trying to exit an abusive relationship, you need to start figuring out. It's about creating a strategy. You cannot be stuck there, right? You want to seek outside help if you can, but the outside help can only do so much if you do not have the financial backing. So this is the time to start opening a PO box, right? So you can have your mail sent to you separately. Mm -hmm. This is the time to start exploring what kind of housing options are out there for you. This is a time to start putting money aside into a separate account so that you can be on your feet. You can land on your feet when you exit this relationship. You don't want to just sit back and take the abuse and not have a way to get out of it. So, so, so important. And so I'm all about women being able to have their own money. I'm all about women being able to contribute to their financial household conversations. And I do this with my husband, right? He knows that I have money put aside. We know each other's accounts. We know each other's passwords, but it's just something that gives me comfort. At the very basics, you know, we have that joint account, but I don't want to have to pick up my phone and call him every single time I want to get my hair done. Mm -hmm. I want to get my nails done. (laughs) Oh, hey, can I take out $25? No, I don't (laughs) want to do that. That's what works for us. The other thing I will say is that there's a lot of advice out there about relationships and money, but it's really important that you pick what works for you. So I've said what works for me and my partner. I've stated my opinion, but you guys understand each other. You guys no, you know, maybe it's a fully joint account that works best for you guys and you want to talk about every single transaction. That's perfect. You do what works for you and not what everybody else is telling you to do because they're not in your relationship. But again, to stress, if you need to exit in a relationship, you are in a bad situation in a relationship, you're in an abusive relationship, you just no longer feel that you can be there. You need to start creating your own separate plans, especially if you feel like you are at risk and unable to leave, which means getting that PO box, which means seeking outside counseling, which means putting money aside quietly, which means exploring your house, uh, housing options, exploring that transition. If you have kids, it's so incredibly important that you start to create this plan quietly so you can exit safely. Absolutely. Oh, so many helpful tidbits in there. Um, would you also include prenups in that as well? Do you think prenups are something that that really benefit everybody? Uh, so a prenup is essentially, depending on how it's structured, but in, in the very in the very basis, a prenup is basically protection of assets mm-hmm. when of the assets that you had prior to getting into a marriage. It may factor in what you earn in a marriage and protect some of it. I personally do not have prenup, so I am in a, in a marriage that um, factors in emotional risk, <laughs> which means I've chosen to take this emotional risk to marry my husband. Without a prenup. <laughs> and also just culturally, I'm Nigerian, like a prenup is, is, is a no-go because, you know, when you get married to somebody, come hell or high water, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. But that's just culturally, right? Yeah. So I don't have a prenup, but I have nothing gets prenups. Uh, if you feel like you have assets that you want to protect, family heirlooms, things that are incredibly important that you cannot afford to split apart in the event that your relationships break down, definitely have a prenup. If you feel like, wow, I'm in this marriage and you know, you're going to be acquiring some assets or you've gotten some family heirlooms or inheritances that, again, you cannot afford to split or have tampered with in the event of a divorce, then you can also consider a post-nup. Essentially, you want to look at what works best for you given your own circumstances. So if a prenup or a post-nup is what you feel is best for you, then absolutely. But you also want to make sure that if you are being asked to sign this prenup and sign this post-nup as someone who is in a relationship without any fallback plans, so for example, you you may be marrying someone who has a really high income that's now moving you to, and this is a real story, moving you to another part of the country where you will not be able to work. Mm-hmm. And you're with this person for 10, 20 years and you have not worked, but you have this prenup that doesn't protect you. And now you have kids and you want to exist this relationship, but you're walking away with nothing. You want to be very mindful of the language that's put into this document, especially if getting into this relationship is going to impact your income or remove your impact, your income completely, that you have some sort of 
protection, given that you're not working for X amount of years. And people do not like to have this conversation. (laughs) And this conversation is is not just one-sided. It's not just for women. Mm -hmm. It's for both men and women, right? Because in relationships, there are women who are the high, who are the higher earner. There are men that are the higher earner. This is not any like gender or anything. This is just really making sure that you understand whatever you're signing. And if you choose to have a prenup that you you make sure that it includes all those things that you cannot afford to have tampered with in the event that the relationship doesn't work out. Got it. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I, I'm not married yet. So prenups are not something that I've really thought much about personally, but I saw this TikTok video recently by an attorney and it actually made me think about prenups in a really different way. She said that prenups are not necessarily about whether or not you trust the person you're marrying, but they are about, do you trust the government to kind of divide up your assets as the government sees fit if this were to not work out? And I was like, huh, (laughs) that is a really good point. Honestly, I don't know if I do. (laughs) That's Um, a good way to think about it. But also the government is one thing, you know, you look at many divorce cases, people change. (laughs) That too. (laughs) When it comes down to it, right? I would worry less about the government and worry more about (laughs) the person that wrote it. (laughs) Absolutely. The government does what the the laws are in place, right? You live in New York, live in New Jersey, live in Texas, the prenup laws, how assets are divided after 10 years, 20 years, it's it's right there, it's run down. The thing is that person you're with, how are they going to handle that? Will they accept it? And yeah, so prenups are, um, again, trust always come in, comes into play. But you said you love me. Why are you asking me to sign a prenup? Mm-hmm. Don't you trust me? <laughs> so this boils down to communication, yes. talking about this and making sure that you are truly okay with having a prenup or not having a prenup so it doesn't disrupt your relationship and bring in resentments and anger, which can then cause other issues. So communication, talking about this and a great way to start having this prenup conversation if you want one or you don't want one is when you're dating, right? Mm-hmm. I would ask yeah. my, question, my, my husband questions all the time when we're dating. You know, what do you think about debt? He had six figures of student loans. I'm like, when are you going to pay off your loans? What's your plan? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's when the I'm, part of having a doctor spouse that those publications don't talk about. People see, ooh, doctor, no. but most doctors have six figures of debt to he, become a doctor. He had multi six figures. I'm like, oh my God, do I want to marry you? <laughs> your debt becomes my debt. <laughs> so, you know, and so conversation, and it's it didn't deter me from wanting to be with him. I just needed yeah. to know where his head was at Definitely. when it came to our finances. Do you think that it's okay for just to be for us to just be in debt and take on more debt and not have a financial plan? How do you imagine savings? What's a good percentage of savings rate you? And this is not a conversation that you have in one evening. This is just Right. You know, getting to know each other. Where mm-hmm. do you want to live? What kind of house? How do you imagine us splitting the bills? These are conversations you need to have. Yeah. I cannot tell you how many people, friends, people in the Clever Girl Finance community who have said, oh my God, my husband wants us to split the bills 50-50. You know, but when you were dating, you were he was likely having you split the bills 50-50. Maybe he was paying for everything and then he changed when you got into into the marriage, but you want to start having this conversation. If I need to, if we have kids and I need to take time off from work to stay home with the kids, or you need to take time off to stay home from the kids, do you still expect this 50-50 contribution Mm -hmm. to happen? If somebody doesn't have an income, you you want to have these conversations as as uncomfortable as they may seem. Um, When you talk to your partner about them, if they are the right person for you, they will not be that uncomfortable in person. They probably want to ask you to, they probably want to know, they probably haven't thought about it, but it's so important so that you guys can be on the same page. Just understand what are your ideas? What are your goals around money? How do you plan to pay for things? How do you plan to save for things? You bring a baby into the situation. Who's going to cover the baby's costs? Mm -hmm. Who's going to pay for childcare? Who's going to pay for school activities? All these things, right? Are things you just want to start to talk about and learn about. Definitely. Oh, that that point about communication is, is so yes. important. It sounds like, I mean, communication is key to managing all things money within relationships, constant communication. Yes. And it's not a fight. It's not a battle. It's not a dictatorship, you know, because when I first got married, I would tell my husband exactly what we were going to do. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> we're going to do this. We're gonna... <laughs> and he's like, looking back, he's like, no, we're not. I didn't want to do that. <laughs> so yeah. we would get into conflict because, you know, we needed to understand our approaches. Like, I love to talk about goals and plans. And I love to talk about them as soon as we get into it. And he's like, I've been working for 16 hours today. I just want to sleep. The last thing I want to talk about is money five minutes before I go. <laughs> so I had to learn. I had to learn that. And then he also had to learn that I'm not the best person to talk about, well, when are we going to pay these bills when I'm trying to like have my moment drinking my morning coffee, right? Yes. Like I don't want to talk about bills when I'm trying to enjoy this calm. Right. When it's self-care <laughs> time. <laughs> so you, you kind of have to understand each other's love languages and when best to approach situations and how best to manage situations so that you it doesn't become a fight when it doesn't need to be, right? Mm-hmm. So, and you, we all know that about our partners. Once we get to know them, we know what pushes their buttons. We know what pushes our buttons and we have to communicate that. And I would say, hey, listen, the same way you told me that you don't want to talk about money five minutes before you fall asleep. I don't want to talk about bills the second I pick up my coffee. Yep. So let's pick a different time. Let's talk about it on Saturday afternoon over lunch. Yes, let's meet in the middle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, such good advice. Thank you for sharing. And And I think- Yeah, I just, I love talking about money in relationships because it is so important. And it's some of the, one of those things that needs to continuously be talked about because relationships change, financial situations change. So the more we can continue getting comfortable talking about it, the better. Yes. And I was just going to add one more thing that I found very helpful in my relationship is, you know, you may be in a relationship where somebody's a spender, someone's a saver, Mm -hmm. or you just have things that you want to buy that you don't want to get into a fight about, right? A lot of women hide purchases. Mm -hmm. A lot of men hide purchases. Everybody's hiding something. (laughs) (laughs) And so one thing that has helped my husband and I is we we have a rule of of an amount, a baseline amount that if we're going to spend more than this amount, pick up the phone, send a text. Mm-hmm. Let's just have a brief conversation to make sure that it doesn't impact something we have coming up, doesn't impact our long-term goals, right? And then we're good. So I don't have to hide the shopping bags <laughs> to the side of the garage and yeah. then come out at 1 a.m. to put them in the, in the bottom of my closet. And he's like, where'd you get? Oh, this whole thing. <laughs> no, let's not do that. <laughs> yes. I love that idea. Having like that spending threshold of, you know, this, exactly. this is the point where we run it past each other. And, and from there, you can use good judgment and continue on. Exactly, Love that. So I'd love to talk a little bit about investing partially in ways about money and then partially in ways kind of not about money. So first talking about investing money for beginners, you know, for a long time, at least in my own financial journey, I focused a lot on frugality, budgeting, paying off debt, reaching my own savings goals. I have not yet done the the $100,000, but that's incredible. A, a future goal for me. All great at, at times. But I've also wanted to grow money. And I've learned that investing is you know, a good way to do that. So I would, I would love to talk about kind of simple, straightforward ways we can start investing to build wealth. Um, so for new to investing, maybe understanding the differences between say investing in the stock market versus investing in something like real estate, or, you know, how much should we focus on things like retirement accounts outside of kind of our own individual investments and, and figuring out what that should look like for us. I love this question. I always have so much to say about investing. So feel free to cut me off. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm I'm excited. But I just want to highlight the importance of investing for women specifically. So earlier on, I had mentioned that gender wage gap, right? Mm-hmm. We're earning less money than our white male counterparts. And as a result of that gender wage gap, we also have an investment gap because we're earning less. We have less money to invest, right? We talk about women living longer than men, which means we need more money over the course of our lives to support ourselves, but we don't have enough because of this investment gap. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times uh, women just don't invest because they are, number one, they are afraid of investing or they just have so many other obligations outside of themselves that they think about themselves last. And by the time they've given this obligation to everybody else, they have little or nothing to invest out of that wage that they earn. So it's really important that you prioritize investing. And when it comes to growing money, investing is the way you do it because you only have so much time in your day that you can exchange for money. So when you go to a job to work, um, you're exchanging your time for money and that there is a limit, right? You have 40 hours in the week. Maybe you have 60 hours in the week without being exhausted out of your mind, but that's the max you can give to exchange your time for money. And so how do you 
have your money work for you, even when you're sleeping, even when you want to take a break from work, even when you choose not to work, right? If you're able to be in that position because you have invested your money, it's investing that lets you do that. And there are different ways to invest. You can invest in the stock market. Within the stock market, you can invest in individual stocks. You can invest in funds, which are aggregates of different stocks. You can invest in bonds, which is when you loan money to the federal government or to corporations and they pay you back with interest for the money that you have loaned them. You can invest in real estate trusts where you invest through the stock market in real estate investments commercial property, hospitality, hotels, farmland, things like that. So the stock market is one way. Another way to invest is in real estate, physical real estate. Um, you buy a rental unit, you buy a commercial strip, um, you buy a, a gas station, you buy a laundromat. There are many different categories in real estate in which you can invest. Or you invest in small business where you invest in your own business, right? Exchanging your time to grow your business and to scale your business so you can bring in money. Or you invest in the business of other people, other small businesses. So someone might say, you know what? I want to start a bakery. Can you invest $10,000 right over two years? And I will give you this amount once we hit this income level. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth way is, you know, more recent and that's through digital assets and cryptocurrency. So there are many different ways to invest your money and it can be overwhelming trying to determine where to get started. And so I always tell people to get started with the lowest barrier to entry and the lowest barrier to entry is the stock market because you don't need, you don't need a lot of money to invest. And a lot of times your employer, if you are employed, um, has made it really easy for you to invest if they offer you a 401k or an IRA plan where they can take that money directly from your paycheck. And they will even offer you, many companies do, an extra incentive through a match which is free money. And so if you have that free money option, you want to take it where they will give a percentage matched up to a certain amount of money that you contribute as an incentive for you to invest your money. Uh, for them, it's a tax break, you know, et cetera. But for you, it's an opportunity for you to get free money that no one is handing out anywhere. But right. in the yeah. So yeah. that's a great place to get started. You know, with real estate, with small business, you really need a lot more money. Uh, with cryptocurrency, it's, you know, because it's more, it's newer as a mainstream investment. It's highly volatile. You hear a lot about it in the news. There's a lot of scams. And so stock market has been around and it, there's a sense of stability there, especially when you diversify. Mm-hmm. So as someone who is new to investing, definitely start with your employer accounts. If your employer does not offer you one, start with an IRA that you can open up with a brokerage, a Fidelity, a Vanguard, a T. Rowe Price, and start to contribute money in there. And I would say don't put all your eggs in one basket. It can be really sexy to say, oh, I'm investing in Tesla. I'm investing in Amazon. I'm investing in this next big thing. But you don't want to put all your money into one basket of Tesla or Amazon because if something goes wrong with that company, and all your money goes down with it. And so I would recommend investing broadly in index funds, right? And an index fund is essentially an aggregation of different stocks that track something like the S&P 500. So you've all heard about the S&P 500 on the news. And essentially it's the 500 of the largest publicly traded companies in America, right? So by investing in an index fund that matches the S&P 500, you get to invest in 500 of the largest companies in America. Or you can invest in total market index funds, which invest in pretty much every stock that is traded on the stock exchange. And I think there's like close to 4,000 of them. By the time you put in $100, you're investing in 4,000 different companies. So if, if Tesla is one of them and it goes down, you have 3,999 <laughs> other companies to kind of buffer yeah. right that decline. So, and the key to investing, the reason why investing works is because number one, your money is always working and it grows from the power of appreciation, dividends, and most importantly, compounding, mm-hmm. right? This is when your money earns money. And your money's money earns money. And then your money's 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 money <laughs> money earns money. Yes. And your money just grows, right? And the longer you give your money to grow, the more it'll grow over time. And people are like, well, the stock market is always crashing. There's always this news and this. But if you look at the history of the stock market, you will see that there have been several. It's a jagged little chart, right? You see ups and downs and ups and downs. So there's always declines. There's always a recession. There's always an economic situation. There's always a war. There's always something inflation. When you look at the, when you take a step back and you look at the trajectory, mm-hmm. it's yeah. always up. It mm-hmm. goes up despite the short-term dips and spikes. In the long term, mm-hmm. it goes up. And this is simply because population is growing, right? Demand is higher. Supply is limited. Resources are limited. Technology is playing a big part. And so the likelihood that there will be short-time 
short-term dips and recessions, very, very high. But over time, the trajectory is to grow, right? Especially with appreciation and dividends. Appreciation is when your investment grows in value because it's now worth more. Mm -hmm. Dividends is what companies or corporations pay to you when the company is doing well. It's part of their profit sharing. And then compounding is that money making money and growing and growing over time. So there are lots of opportunities to grow your money in the long term, but you want to start now, right? So when you hear about retiring, a lot of people say, well, I want to retire a million dollars right? And a million dollars might sound like, wow, that's so crazy. But if you start now and invest a certain amount every month for 10, 20, 30 years, it's very likely you can create your own lottery for yourself yeah. by starting now. Yeah. Oh, so I hope that <laughs> lots to say. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm like, there's so many things here that I want to continue digging into because that was like investing 101. That was an amazing, like <laughs> tactical explanation. So thank you so much for that. And I, I loved what you said about taking a step back and looking at the big picture, because we do sometimes see, especially, you know, this year, right? We went to having a, a bear market where a lot of things are, are down. And so that can seem really scary. But when you take a step mm-hmm. back and look at the big picture, things do tend to trend upward and and we can look at the history and we can see the patterns, even though we can't necessarily predict exactly what's going to happen. And so that perspective is, is super helpful. I'd love to talk a little bit more about time, which is kind of what you just emphasized is the importance of time so that our money can grow. And I know that we do have quite a few young listeners. And so now being in my thirties, I'm now starting to understand and I'm starting to see what some of those decisions that I made in my 20s, what they turn around to look like. And I definitely made a lot of money mistakes in my 20s. But one thing that I did, right. (laughs) One thing that I did, which I honestly truly don't even remember doing this, but apparently I did. When I was about 20, I interned at a a large company that treated interns like full-time employees. So you had all benefits of a full-time employee. And I started my 401k then forgot, but still have it. It's still growing. And now over a decade later, it's, you know, really healthy and a great thing because it's existed for so long. And the older I get purely just because it existed, Mm -hmm. it will continue to grow. So I just really want to encourage our young listeners, you know, if you're in your early twenties, like that is the perfect time to get started. Even if you're not contributing a lot, like you have time on your side and time is the best asset. And even if you're older, there's no better time than right now (laughs) to get started. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. You know, and you know, when the market is down, think of it as a sale. And who doesn't love Mm, good sale? Like that dress you've been eyeing goes on 50% off. I'm going to buy it, right? It's a great time to get in and buy stocks at a discounted price, knowing that they may not turn around immediately, but you are in it for the long term, right? And if you are older, a lot of people made this mistake of giving up because they're like, oh, well, I'm two years from retirement. I'm three years from retirement. But one thing to keep in mind is that retirement is not a day, right? You don't get to age 65 and retire and then drop dead. Mm -hmm. And you don't get to age 65 and then spend all your retirement savings in that one day, right? Retirement is a whole nother world. Like, you know, the average retirement person who retires at 65 lives another 20, 25, 30 years. That's more time for your money to even grow when Mm -hmm. you're taking out what you need to live on for the lifestyle you want to have. And a lot of retirees also don't just sit on their couch once they turn 65, like, okay, nothing to do. (laughs) A lot of them do second careers. Mm -hmm. They get part-time jobs. They start their dream businesses. So you're starting late by whose definition, Yeah, right? You start where you are with what you have. And the other thing that a lot of young people say to me is that, well, you know, the stock market is a scam and one day it's all going to crash. Crash. And if one day it all crashes, we have bigger issues than the stock market, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, when COVID-19 hit, before we had the vaccine, before we knew what the symptoms were, before we knew anything, nobody, were you thinking about your stock, your stocks, or were you thinking about health and safety and staying alive? Definitely so don't get caught up in, <laughs> in hype and in the fear tactics sometimes that the media plays, right? And also remember, money is not everything. It, it's great. It gives us options, but it's important that we stay sane, that we stay well, that we stay healthy. And then we can leverage money to achieve the things that we want for ourselves. Because if we're not well, if we're not mentally okay, there's only so much that money can help us do. Ugh, preach. That's a word. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Along the same lines, just just continuing to talk about investments, um, Mm -hmm. I'd love to know what are some of the investments that you've made in yourself that you feel truly paid off? And that can be financial or otherwise. 
So I've always invested from a financial perspective. Um, so that's, you know, it's one thing, but I definitely think in that personal development, personal investing. And I just think that for me, knowledge has been my greatest asset. It's what has allowed me to do what I do now, what has allowed me to be a strategic investor. And so just investing in, in knowledge, investing my time in reading books and talking to advisors and mentors and learning about how to get past challenges I'm facing, that has been the best investment. For other people, it could be talking to a therapist. It could be getting financial counseling. It could be learning a skill set to help you get to the next level in your career. Those are really good investments, right? And people will tell me, I don't have time to read, but I guarantee if you spend 10 minutes less on Instagram and TikTok and yeah those bottomless pit platforms which listen i have nothing i'm on instagram i'm on tiktok i'm on all places (laughs) but we want to be able to manage that time we talked about not just for our money but for ourselves so that we can grow ourselves that we can nourish our souls and our minds so that we can continue to make informed and strategic decisions so for me it's just been in education that's been my biggest investment in myself my education just learning learning Absolutely. Oh, I love that. And and learning can happen in so many different ways. For some people, yeah. it could be formal education. For others, it could be mentorship. It could be joining mm-hmm. communities where, where you learn. It could be taking courses. It could be, you know, maybe trading a fictional TV show you watch for an educational one to, to learn. There's so many ways that we can continue learning. Yes, yes. So many different ways. Find what works for you. It could be audiobooks. Somebody once told me that listening to an audiobook is not reading. I'm like, well, but it's the same information, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. You hear it or you read it. What's the difference? Right. Yeah. You're still getting the same content. <laughs> so do what works for you. <laughs> yes. Wonderful. So as we wind down here, I I also really appreciate the ways that you talk about wealth and prosperity beyond money, right? We just got a taste of that when you're talking about time and, and investing in ourselves and investing in knowledge. I would love to to just get a little perspective from you about ways that that we can be wealthy and and prosperous in addition to financially, other ways that that we can be prosperous. So I, I think prosperity, the definition of prosperity is different for everybody because mm-hmm. there are just different things that make us truly happy. We all desire different things for ourselves. And obviously there are standards that set by the world, by social media, by, I know, family members where you need to be this by this, you need to have this by this, you know, and and a lot of times we're in pursuit of those things, but those are not the things that we truly want. Mm -hmm. Who says that you need to be married by X age and have two kids by this age and buy your first home by this age and be able to travel to Europe by this age? Like who says that? Is that what you really want for yourself? So it's really important first and foremost that you get clear on your why what is truly important to you and why do you want it? And then that is going to be the baseline for how you pursue your overall wellness, your overall personal development, even your financial wellness. It's going to be tied to the thing that you truly want, right? It's it's really important that we get clear on that and not we hold ourselves to the standards that other people have created for us. And I definitely think that there's value in making time for self-care, mm-hmm. right? You know, there's this whole idea of hustle culture, but the only place that leads you to is burnout. And for some reason, it, it's it's been made to seem sexy and attractive. And I've definitely been in that hustle culture space, but life passes by, right? And you want to make sure that you're living your life to the fullest because you only have this one life. So taking time for self-care is is so incredibly important. Taking time to also work on your mental health. There's so many things going on in the world, so many external forces that we have zero control over, right? But we're consuming all of this negative news and we're letting people tell us all this negative feedback that at some point we reach a breaking point whether in how we feel, men, you know, whether in our emotional level, dealing with depression, dealing with anxiety. So it's really important that we prioritize our mental health. And that might mean disconnecting from social media for a little bit, not watching the news, talking to a therapist, talking to a confidant, talking, you know, finding a safe space where you can just be yourself. But those are some of the things that, that I would say. Mm, yes, yes. And I think that ties in beautifully with with investing in yourself, investing mm-hmm. in your mental well-being as as well because and kind of to your point earlier without that what do you have yeah exactly exactly oh 
Oh my gosh. Bola, this was so helpful. I feel like we covered so much ground. I am just so inspired. So thank you for all that you've shared. And and at Clever Girl Finance, which is the incredible financial education platform that you've created, you have courses, you have an incredible blog, you have books, you have YouTube, you have so many incredible resources. Can you tell our audience where they can find the amazing work that you're doing at Clever Girl Finance? Yeah. So I have the new book that we were talking about. It's called Choosing to Prosper. Uh, you can find it everywhere books are sold. There's an ebook, audiobook, physical book. And there are also three other books in the Clever Girl Finance book series, one on foundational finance called Clever Girl Finance, one on investing specifically called Grow Your Money, and one on starting a side hustle to expand your income streams called the Side Hustle Guide. And again, everywhere books are sold. And then you can visit clevergirlfinance.com. We have over 30 plus completely free courses. We have uh, articles that are updated every single day. We have the Clever Girls Know podcast. We have our YouTube channel. And so our goal is really to empower you with knowledge wherever you find us <laughs> on any of these platforms. And we're also on Instagram at Clever Girl Finance. So we would love for you to join our community. Yes, and you have an incredible community. So we'll be sure that we link all of your books, your social platforms, and the Clever Girl Finance website in the show notes to make it really easy for people to find you. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. How incredible is Bola? In reading her book and being in conversation with her, I was so inspired by her, by her family, by her story, and she's just getting started. Head to the show notes to check out her work with Clever Girl Finance. You can check out her community, courses, Clever Girl Finance books, and her latest book, Choosing to Prosper. Huge thanks to this week's sponsor, Open, for keeping me grounded and calm in my own meditation practice. And I invite you to join me on my favorite meditation app. Special link in the show notes give you 30 days free, which is an incredible offer. So make sure you check it out. Next week, we're talking about new ways of building wealth through technology and understanding new forms of currency, including crypto, to decide if it's a tool we want to leverage for building wealth. This episode is jam-packed with information that you don't want to miss, so make sure you're subscribed so you can tap in. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next week.